Okay, Sophie, let's get this daddy-daughter pizza night underway. I love pizza. Do we have everything we need? Absolutely, honey. Do we have the dough? Check. Tomato sauce? You bet. What about cheese? Ooh, for you, extra cheese, sweetie. Where's the pineapple, Daddy? Don't be silly, Peanut. We don't put pineapple on pizza. But I love pineapple on pizza. Munchkin, Daddy knows best on this one. After all, I worked at Bolton Pizza all through high school. You didn't make the pizzas, Daddy. You answered the phone. Exactly. And look where it's gotten me today. Yeah, Mommy said you talk too much. Extra pineapple, please. Okay, sweetie. What does pineapple on pizza have to do with attracting the best talent? Well, it's what we're talking about today. This is the Insights at Work podcast. Thanks for calling Bolton Pizza, home of the Hilltop Special. Let's dive in. As record numbers of people have quit their jobs in all sectors of the economy struggling to fill vacancies, organizations are changing long-standing policies and offering unprecedented incentives. CEOs and CHROs are falling all over themselves to cater to a candidate that might seem to be a fit. But I think these activities at the end of the day aren't addressing the root cause of the talent recruitment and engagement issue. Simply put, Work isn't working for us. It wasn't before the pandemic, and it isn't now. I'm Jeff Livingston, and this is Insights at Work, the HR podcast that looks at what's happening in the HR world, takes your questions, and studies the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. Today, we're chatting with Eric Termundi. I've seen Eric speak before, and... Well, we're in for a treat. He's the co-founder of Now of Work, author of the best-selling book, Rethink Work, and a global keynote speaker. Eric, welcome to the Insights at Work podcast. Hey, Jeff. Listen, great. uh, So great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Eric, I've seen you speak at conferences, and I've been lucky enough to attend one of your master classes. For those of our listeners who might not be familiar with your work, why don't you fill them in a little bit about yourself? Yeah, listen, uh, once again, Jeff, thanks so much for having me. And that, and that tee-up is, is, is so great. I mean, if I were to say in the simplest terms what, what my mission is, it's to help people from coast to coast to coast enjoy their experience at work a little bit more. I believe that if we can enjoy the work that we can do, we can be better parents, we can be better sons, daughters, husbands, wives, and ultimately live a more fulfilling life as a result. You know, in, in that tee up, though, you talked a little bit about incentives and if that's not working and, you know, really what you what you sort of said is that we need to be looking at work a little bit different. That's been the impetus for my book, Rethink Work. Uh, that's really uh, to, to date what's got me on over 400 stages around the world and has really helped the consulting business that I'm no longer working with, uh, but have the success that it did in the time that it did. Awesome. So there's so many terms out there that focus on this single major challenge that so many employee employers are facing right now, and that's keeping and attracting new talent. Now, mm-hmm. you and I both, we love the sports analogies, like despite me watching zero sports beside basketball. When I think about HR, I think about my high school basketball coach, Mr. Cloutier, who said a good defense is much better than a good offense because if the opposing team doesn't score score a basket, mm-hmm. so you can see how much I love sports, uh-huh. you can't uh-huh. lose. <laughs> and yeah. I think 
you think I think you think this way too. If yep. we create an environment that fosters our own employees' engagement, we're gonna have those high-performing workforces, and we're not gonna have to spend so much time and resources looking to fill those talent gaps. I completely agree. I think one of the biggest mis mis uh, misallocations or or or, or misdefinitions uh, that we would say in the workplace right now is 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 we attribute too much weight to to engagement though. Engagement isn't what we fix in the workplace. It's what happens when we fix what needs to be uh, fixed in the workplace. Engagement is a result. It's not necessarily an input. If we can make people feel that they're they're recognized, that their work matters, that they're appreciated, that they feel that they belong. Like there's a deep sense of trust and psychological safety uh, across the team, then engagement is what happens when those things are a focus. And so, you know, using the sports analogy that you said, you said it's important to have a good defense. If the other team can't score on us, then of course we're not going to likely lose the game. I would say that if we're able to create great places of work where people do feel like they belong, like they're trusted, like they're psychologically safe, like they're recognized, like they're important that is the best defense that we can possibly have because what happens our competitor comes in and waves a small signing bonus in front of somebody they're going to say respectfully no thank you i really enjoy the experience that i have here in other words we're putting up this sort of metaphorical wall uh, outside of our uh, of our organization a, a defense in other words that's not just protecting our people because they want to be there. But one of the big things that we're missing in this great resignation is that this defense becomes a good offense as well. Jeff, what happens if you go to the movie theater and you see an incredible movie and someone asks you the next day, how was the movie? I'll say it was awesome. That's right. And so if someone says, Jeff, how's your time at work? If you've got a place of work where you're respected, you're trusted, you communicate well, you're appreciated, you're going to say, my work is awesome. And you know what they're going to say? I should check it out. <laughs> I should go apply there too. Jeff, is there an opening for a position? And you're going to say, yeah, this is the middle of the great resignation. There probably is an opening. That's how in the world of work today, the best defense is going to be our best offense as well, because we're going to realize that our people that love the work that they do and the people that they do it with will become our best recruiters, our best storytellers, and our best marketing moving forward. I agree. I think having those cheerleaders in the workplace, I think creating those brand ambassadors, it's the quickest win you can get. It's authentic. It's genuine. If I'm an HR professional, what are those tactics that I could be looking at this week or as soon as I wrap up today's podcast? What can I start doing this afternoon to start creating those ambassadors? Or, or what else should I be thinking about? <laughs> Yeah, look, uh, here's a budget-free solution for, for anyone out there. It's start to showcase incredible people doing incredible things externally. Now, look, I don't want to oversimplify things, but many companies have in one way, shape, or form some sort of like employee of the month or an employee showcase or something like that. And very rarely does that employee of the month plaque or whatever it might be. Again, I don't want to oversimplify things. But very rarely does that leave the four walls of the office or the workplace, whatever that might be. What if, what if instead we were able to say, Jeff Livingston has done an incredible job. ADP is showcasing him for his 500th episode of the Insights at Work podcast. Everyone in the ADP network, take a look at how great Jeff is. What's the first thing Jeff's going to do when he sees his name and tagged in that post? he's probably going to share it with his network too, because he's proud that his employer has recognized him for the great work that he's doing. Now, look, this post took no time. It did take a little bit of care for sure. It took no budget whatsoever. 
And look, now you're appreciated for the great work that you're doing. Did you do anything different necessarily? No, but you hit a milestone and that's really important to you. It's really important to the podcast and it's really important to the company too. And if we can start showcasing those stories, having you as the recipient of that recognition, of that appreciation, of that acknowledgement, now be able to share that to the hundreds, maybe thousands of connections that you have in your network too. Now there's gonna be a lot of people who say, look, not only do I wanna be like Jeff, I might wanna work with Jeff. I might be a great fit for the ADP team. So the best thing that we can do, budget-free, if we want to start telling the story better, is give the existing employees that are doing an incredible job a story to tell. Do they have posts that they can reshare? Do they have anything that's tagged with them in it? Do they have even some of that swag, some of that pride that they can carry with them that they can start telling the world about? It's kind of like, Jeff, going to the movie, really enjoying it, and then forgetting everything when you leave. If you don't have that story to share, it's not really going to be a good story for anyone else to hear if you don't remember any of the details. If I went to Batman last week and I forget everything that happened, I would say, hmm, I went to a, a movie, but it was, gosh, I can't even remember who was starring in it or what it was. Well, they're just going to say, well, I probably don't want to go to that movie. It wasn't all that memorable. But now if you actually have the tools and the plot and the story and the taglines to be able to share with your network, I might hear all the great things that you enjoyed about Batman. And I say, you know what? I'm going tonight. I'm bringing my partner. It's going to be awesome. It's, it's so funny that you say that because... Our strategy from our marketing team and from our communications and our brand team is we position actual ADP associates as those HR experts. I got tired of hearing, hey, Jeff, you need to eat less muffins and walk more. And so I said, you know what we're going to do? The people that we put up on stage are going to be when you phone ADP and you work with your HR relationship manager that's the person who's going to be on stage and they're going to tell you this is the magic sauce behind our products at ADP. And I know this is sounding like an ad for ADP, but it's those people that you talk to on the phone, those people you work with, those are the people that share our thought leadership because I really want to show, you know what? They know what they're talking about. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you get to work as a client alongside them. Yeah. I mean, look, this, this is, this is the proof right there because had that not happened, even just as a little anecdote that you can share with me, you said you, you said it, you said it, and actually you think you said it perfectly. You said, I think this is kind of sounding like a plug for ADP. And here's the thing, it is, not intentionally, but because you have the luxury to share an experience that you've had, because ADP knew that if we can showcase our employees and if we can showcase our talent, if we can put our money where our mouth is, this is going to be a story worth sharing. In other words, this is going to be remarkable. And remarkable, of course, is anything worth remarking. And this, of course, is is remarkable story. Yeah. Now, you talked about the great resignation. So prior to the pandemic, I don't think anyone would have predicted the amount of employee turnover that we've seen. And definitely not me. And probably because I'm the type of person who bought a mini disc player when everybody was buying an iPod. But you talk about there being four waves of resignation, and Mm -hmm. it makes Perfect sense. Can you fill the listeners and I in on what those waves are? Yeah, let, let's back it up a second. I actually wrote Rethink Work in, in 2017. That's when it came out. So I wrote it in 2016. It came out in 2017. And when, when I was doing the research and the work behind Rethink Work, I actually figured that about six or seven out of 10 people were in the wrong position. 
Now, this didn't mean that their skills were mismatched. This didn't mean they weren't good at their job. It meant that they were probably in a culture or at a company that wasn't necessarily right for them. So while I wouldn't have predicted this great resignation, something that I did see that might happen over the next 20 years or something like that is a reconfiguration of the workforce, which is what I would more like to call the great resignation. The resignation implies that everyone's just leaving. Well, they're leaving their job, but they're going somewhere. <laughs> in other words, they're being reconfigured into a different title or a different yeah. company or a different position that better suits them which then takes us to the great resignation. Now, especially our neighbors in the South, they're seeing the great resignation a little bit worse than we are right now. In fact, their March numbers uh, having just come out were the worst yet, I think. Worst, if, if that's a bad thing, like four and a half million people quit their jobs in, in March of this year. And again, this is supposed to be some scary number. I actually think for the medium and long term, these big numbers are incredibly positive because what this means is that the workforce is indeed reconfiguring at a faster rate. Now, if people are leaving jobs they don't necessarily like or aren't fulfilled in or aren't able to do their best work in, and now they're reassigned somewhere else where they can do their best work with it's companies positive. that are doing great things, I think, it's, I think it's incredibly positive. It'll be a turbulent time, but when we're out of this turbulent time, great things are going to happen. So let's take it back to the great resignation. March 2020, Everyone was forced out of the office, okay? And, and for good reason. We didn't know what in the world this COVID thing was. It wasn't safe. We're trying to protect the population. I get it, totally fine. There we go. Over that time, uh, what happened is that people realized maybe they wanted to move out of the cities into the more urban areas. Maybe they wanted to move to a different coast. I'm not here picking favorites across Canada, but certainly people wanted a different lifestyle that was maybe best for them. And so as a result, maybe some people moved, maybe some people weren't able to work with their leaders who weren't great at managing or leading remote or hybrid teams or something like that. So, so they moved. And I would call that sort of phase one of the great resignation. And that lasted roughly two years, right? We've seen that over 2020 and 2021. It didn't happen as much in 2020 because we're all just sort of trying to figure it out. And in year two of the pandemic, it started to move a little bit faster because people got a little bit more comfortable with their working styles. But here we are. Now we look at like sort of March, April, May 2022. And the interesting thing about going sort of, let's say, quote, back to the office is that actually there's nothing externally, like a virus, for example, that's forcing us back to the office. This, this sort of wave of the resignation is a result of a choice to come back to the office. So many employers are saying, we're going to force you to come back to the office and not really consider that some of their employees have moved across the country or into an urban area. Now their 30 minute commute is 45 hours if they were going to drive from coast to coast. And people are saying respectfully, no, thank you. I think that we're almost in the midst of, of, of phase two of the great resignation now, which is why I would probably argue the numbers are spiking again, because now if, you know people are forced back to the office and they're saying respectfully, no, thank you, uh, then they're going to be looking for another opportunity. That leads to phase three, because what's going to happen is that some companies knowing that they've been able to work remotely uh, for the last 24, 25, 26 months, there are eight players who are going to say, look, I'm staying remote and there's nothing that you're going to do about it. And the company is going to say, ah, you're right. There is nothing we're going to do about it. You are too valuable. You are too good at your job. We don't want to replace you. We don't want to spend eight months and $100,000 trying to hire and, and, and find somebody new. We, we, you're right. 
you can stay remote, but the rest of your team is forced to come in. Now there's tension, there's animosity, there's disdain across that team. And I think things are going to boil over in the next four to five to six months, especially after the summer is, is, is finished. I think that's when we're going to see phase three where, you know, these people will either eventually leave, which I think is, is more likely to happen, or they're actually going to be forced to come back. But look, you've laid your roots down across the country. You know, kids are in school, whatever it might be. There's no way they're coming back. So they're going to find a new job and that's going to be phase three. Then over the next I think like 36 months, we're sort of seeing a, a, a trickle of phase four of the great resignation. And this is going to come <laughs> when, when employers are saying, you know what, they're going to dangle this little carrot in front of somebody and say, here's a signing bonus. Come over and work with us. We've got great perks. We've got a four day work week. We've got all these great things. And someone's going to say, how could I turn down this money? That sounds amazing. That sounds awesome. I'm going to do that. And they went over. They're running after this carrot. And look, some people like, like need the money. I'm not, I'm not advocating against the signing bonus or against trying to make as much money as you can. That's not what I'm trying to say. But here's the thing, Jeff. Many people, more, more better put, many companies are going to try and compensate a poor culture, poor leadership development, poor leadership skills with money. And it's going to work, but not for long, certainly not forever. And so once the thrill and that high of that signing bonus and these perks have worn off eight to 12 months into that new position, people are going to realize that a toxic environment is not solved by a Band-Aid, a ping pong table, a salad bar in the lunchroom, and a little extra bit of a signing bonus. They're going to realize that there's nothing that, that really makes up for a poor culture. And they're going to realize in 12 months, I'm out of here. I'm going to go chase the next signing bonus, or I'm actually going to find that place of work with people that I love to work with doing work that I love to do that will ultimately result in the complete reconfiguration of the workforce. So the reconfiguration of the workforce, I think is going to happen in late 2024, 2025, where we're going to see Canadians have completely reconfigured themselves to work for companies that they want to work for, doing work that they want to do in a way that they like to do it, with a purpose, a mission, and values that they can really get behind. That's going to be the reconfiguration of the workforce. It's not done yet. In fact, I think we're in the middle of phase two of four phases. And I'll tell you, in 2025, I cannot wait to see how engagement has gone up across the country, how satisfaction has gone up across the country. And I think the country, without putting too much of a utopian filter on things, is going to be in a much better place. So... I agree. And so just to quickly recap, because I know people are taking notes. I take lots of notes, Eric. There's four waves of resignation. Number one, forced to work from home. We left the workplace. Number two, we chose to return to the workplace. Third resignation. That's where we've got the A players. We're making accommodations for them. People are leaving. People are getting divided. And then the fourth wave is going to be where people really realize, you know what? They're probably not a fit with that culture that they're working in. Yep. I think what's so interesting about that, and you brought up the ping pong table because I love using that, that analogy. I love being that cheerleader. I love celebrating a team's win. Recognition, that's important to me. But you know what's not important to me? Snacks and ping pong tables are mm -hmm. not important to me. But right. that's just me. People love snacks and ping pong tables. Mm -hmm. It's just not my jam. Right. So you've got that concept that focuses about creating this intentional culture, celebrating this intentional culture, promoting 
this intentional culture so you're attracting the right people and you're kind of like repulsing the wrong people. And you call it planting that corporate cultural flag. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Well, I mean, Jeff, in the world that we live in today, there are 195 sovereign nations, all represented by a very unique flag. If we were to look at the Japanese flag, it comes with a series of values, a series of behaviors, some things that we would expect. In fact, I've asked as I travel around the world, when I show the Canadian flag, <laughs> what do people think of when you see this image? And people say freedom. They say politeness. They see sincerity. They say maple syrup, loonies, beavers, and moose too, but that's sort of like beside the point. The point is, is that if companies, which we've often called brand, by the way, but if they were able to ar like articulate and plant that cultural flag in the ground and scream that from the mountaintops, what they're going to realize is that, look, we're actually not everything for everyone, but we're exactly who we need to be for the people that love working here. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, Nike, remember back when they sided with uh, Colin Kaepernick and they said, um, believe in yourself, even if it means sacrificing everything? They took a stance, right? They stuck their they stuck their corporate flag in the ground and they said, this is what we believe in. Many people taped over the swooshes on their shoes. They cut their socks in half because they hated it. They were burning the product. Like it was a visceral response. But you know what happened the next quarter? <laughs> Nike saw a $6 billion injection to their bottom line. Not only was this a corporate stance, but now this is a recruiting tool. Gillette was another great example. They went through their positive masculinity uh, commercial where they had this like best a man can get. And they talked about like anti-bullying and they talked about men supporting men. And a lot of people didn't like it, but enough people did where actually their sales were increased and now they could see a bit of a reconfiguration of their workforce so that they were more aligned in what they believed in as well. I think we're going to see more and more and more of this. In fact, what I like to see is that there is that sort of black and white. We love this or we don't like this, much like we saw with Nike or much like we saw with Gillette. I would actually say that we should treat our culture a little bit like, well, like like cilantro. <laughs> Je Jeff, do, do you love or hate cilantro? Love cilantro in my mango salad. Love it okay, in my guacamole. Go. Nice. Okay. How about uh, does, does pineapple belong on pizza? Love pineapple on pizza. I'm very passionate about that. Very passionate about that. See, this is the point. You're passionate about it, right? Um, have Eric, you ever, I'm passionate you? pretty much about everything. Nice. Okay, so then I'll, let me ask you this: Do you uh, do you ever dip your French fry in your like milkshake or your frosty or anything like that? I do do that. You do. Yes. You are that guy. Yeah. Now we've got listeners who are thinking, Jeff, you're crazy. I would say no to cilantro. I'd say no to pineapple on pizza. I would say no to dipping my French fry in my milkshake. And here's what I would say. Great. That's the point. You and Jeff, while you may have similar skills, might love and really not like a certain place to work, not based on the work that you do, but the environment that you're a part of just like Nike, just like Gillette. But if we're able to plant that corporate flag, really stand for what we believe in, really talk about saying, hey, look, we are a five-day-a-week five workplace. We work from 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock. We want you in the office. You're going to be working with teams for 50% of the day, by yourself for 50% of the day. On average, you're going to get about 40 emails. You're going to take about seven calls. You're going to be in about three meetings, roughly. You're not going to leave the country. This is a not traveling job. You're going to be home with your family every dinner at 5.30. Is this an experience that you want? Some people are going to say, yes, that is exactly what I want. And other people are going to say, are you kidding me? That sounds awful. <laughs> and that's the point. 
I so, think when we start to see this this reconfiguration of the workforce, the sooner that companies are able to plant their flag and really state what that experience is going to be, the sooner we'll start to attract and keep people that really belong there. I love that we're setting this expectation and you know what you're getting when you start that job. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens if you just end up working with everybody who loves cilantro? You have not. What about those perspectives of people who don't like cilantro and yep. don't like pineapple on pizza who are crazy those people are obviously crazy hey listen uh no comment on the second part but definitely a comment on the first part so you you've you, you raised a really good point i mean especially in in a, in a time where not that it shouldn't have always been but in a time where diversity equity inclusion belonging are are so important uh, different opinions different backgrounds different perspectives are so important i 100 agree with you now listen if we want people who come to the office from nine o'clock to five o'clock every day, five days a week, and are at home for 5.30, that doesn't mean that the people that are there that like that style of work can't be diverse, can't have different skin tones, can't have different sexual orientations, can't have different backgrounds, opinions, come from different countries, can't have different ideas. Of course, we want to have that diverse, inclusive environment that allows everyone to belong, but also really challenges perspectives, that also really allows us to see the world from a different way. But I will tell you that if you've got an office of people who actually would be way better off working remotely that are now forced to come back to the office, there's no way they can bring their whole selves to work and offer those diverse opinions, those diverse backgrounds and those different ways of looking at things. There's no way. I totally agree. I think that really at the end of the day, there's no I in team. That whole thing, it kind of misses the fundamental point of a team because when you're on a team, you're going to build on those other people's skill sets. You're going to complement what they do great that you don't do great. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And I mean, you know, that's that goes that's very, you know, very Marcus, Marcus Buckingham. Right. And, you know, he would say there's no I in team, but there is an I in every individual on the team. I mean, you want to have that cohesive experience, but you still want to respect the individuality of everyone that comes to work every day. And then when you start talking about the work that Marcus does, he really focuses on you really need to do what you love to do and mm-hmm. and don't do what you loathe to do. So mm-hmm. if you've got Jeff on the team who loves doing analytics, let's yep. leverage that skill set. And if you've got Eric on the team who loves being creative, let's leverage Eric's creativity. No doubt. But there's a back half to this based on what we're talking about in the Great Resignation. If they're both forced to come into the office when they don't want to be there, neither of them will be as good at their job as they would be if they were able to work it in a way that they like to work. And so to, 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 to recap in, in as, succinct, as succinctly as possible, we need diversity in the people that are at our team, but we need complete alignment in how we like to do our work. Excellent. Full yeah, that, it makes perfect, perfect sense. When you're creating that team, I know that you really talk about the importance of trust and mm-hmm. you've given some great examples of how do you create that trust and you call it the four H's? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I want to be very clear. I I would I would be stealing it if I called the four H's, but, you take uh, it. but it's but yours, but Eric. It's yours. I, I do I do love sharing the importance of the four H's. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you a quick story. Kevin Stefanski. In, two, in, in 2020 was um, was was uh, was assigned to be the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. 
Now, Jeff, I'm not as big a sports fan as you, so I'm not as big on the NFL oh, side of things. <laughs> but um, what I do know is that the Cleveland Browns were a, an awful team, absolutely awful. In fact, in 2017, they won zero games, like zero out of 16 games. So Kevin Stefanski was assigned to be the head coach, a rookie head coach. So, so, so hold on. He was a rookie head coach for a team that was just very, very bad. And, and to make matters even worse, he was assigned to be the head coach, if you remember 2020, in the middle of the first wave of the pandemic. So not only could he not bring his team onto the field to work on drills and fundamentals in place, he couldn't even have them in the same room. He knew, though, that if we're going to have a new Cleveland Browns that take the field in September, fingers crossed, all things go well, we're going to have to have a team that really understands each other and more importantly, really cares about each other. So he got 55 grown men that love to play football, averaging about 270 pounds, all on Zoom. And he asked them, uh, he asked them if he could share a little bit more about himself because he wanted the team not to know just who Kevin was as a coach, but who he was as an individual. So he shared his four H's, his heroes, his heartbreak, his hopes, and his history. He shared how somebody in high school absolutely broke his heart and how it pushed him into football and gave that him that resilience, that tenacity that ultimately enabled him to be where he was today. And it was important that he shared that with the team. He shared what uh, who his heroes were and not like John Madden or anything like that. He shared who, that his parents were his heroes for the opportunities that they gave him and how he was able to live the life that he did. Jeff, I could go on and on and tell you more about the story, but the important part is that he said, Look, guys, I don't want you. To, I don't want to force you to share your four H's, but I, I will invite you. Does anyone want to share one of your four H's? Sure enough, one player put his hand up and he said, "Look, I was raised by a by a single mother in a very poor area of town. My hope is I can bring my salary back to her so that she can continue to positively influence the area that I grew up in. Not only will she be able to improve her life, but she'll be able to improve the community that in the county that I live in." One by one, players started to empathize and relate and, and share their stories as well to the point where Stefanski actually had to stop the chatter because nobody could hear each other. Everyone was talking over each other. And at that time, you could almost see the roots grow into the ground. The foundation of the team grow stronger. He actually scheduled response time so that everyone would have an opportunity to share their four H's. And Jeff, you wouldn't believe it. In, in 2020, when they took the field in September for the first time, a brand new Cleveland Browns took the field. In fact, they ended up being 11 and five that year. They made it to the playoffs for the first time in uh, 17 years, and they won a playoff game for the first time in 28 years. When Stefanski was interviewed after that season was done, he was asked a very simple question that everyone wanted to know. What was the secret? How did you get your team to start winning these games? And what he said really stuck with me. He said, when my team trusts each other off the field, they play better together on the field. And if I could just say the importance of trust and how to do it in one quick sentence, I would say the fastest way that we can speed up human connection is actually to slow down. Stefanski knew that. We all know that. We're checking our phones 80 times a day. We're checking our computers 120 times a day. We're spending 11 hours on average in front of a screen. We're trying to multitask and do two things at once right from the moment we get up to the moment we go to sleep. And I think we realize that when we're trying to do two things at once, we're not doing anything all that well. And as soon as we can multitask, or sorry, stop multitasking, focus on the individual in front of us, ask them that sincere question, like, how are you really doing? And really listen for the response. I believe that we can build trust faster and we can build rock solid teams as a result. So it's being authentic. It's about sharing that genuine history, some meaningful experience that shows, hey, this is really why I'm the person I am. 
that's going to create that connection. And then you also really better understand where that person's coming from. Yeah, I mean, I struggle a little bit with the word authentic, not because I disagree with it. I, I completely agree with the word authentic, but very few people, like, I, I don't know, maybe you can help me. How do I, how does one be authentic? Like, I, I haven't, I haven't actually looked at like a three-step tip to, to be more authentic. What I would be more inclined to do is be a little bit more vulnerable, is to give my trust a little bit earlier is to share more about who who I am and and maybe what I'm a, a little nervous about. Perhaps that's authentic as well. But I've always struggled with how to be authentic. Rather, I find it easier to be a little bit more vulnerable right. and to give trust. In fact, I would say, Jeff, the fastest way that we can get somebody to trust us is to trust them first. Give trust in order to receive it second. Who's your hero? <laughs> I, I I would probably have to go back to to my to my family. Um, I mean, I've got like work heroes for sure, but I mean, I would have to probably go back to my my parents. You know, they believe that I could create this out of nothing. You know, to be able. I mean, look, Jeff. If I'm being totally honest, to be able to have a conversation with you on an Insights at Work podcast for ADP, one of the best companies in the country, you know, that that would be something that's on a on a vision board when, you know, I'm 15 or something like that. So, you know, to have parents in the family that that believes that, you know, I could do whatever it is that I sort of set my mind to without giving that sort of like false hope. Uh, I'm eternally grateful for that. No doubt. Wow. I'm so flattered, Eric, really. Just me. That's <laughs> Nothing it. special about me. I'll tell you that. ADP. Yes because they give me this opportunity to create something special, but yeah. Well, Hey, they gave it to you, not to anyone. They gave it to you. <laughs> Eric, is there anything impactful that you'd like to share that we haven't discussed today? Insights at Work is a HR podcast for HR professionals. And what HR professionals as the unsung heroes of the past two years need to know is that you are the gatekeeper to all things future of work, full stop. If we're able to tell a better story to attract better, not necessarily skills better, but better fit, better talent that's more aligned with the company and what we're trying to do. Truly, you will make the world a better place. If you're one of those companies in that fourth wave of the great resignation who says that, you know, just a signing bonus or just a couple extra perks, that'll get them. <laughs> uh, we're missing the we're missing the mark. It is a ton of work. I recognize that. I appreciate that. And I thank you for, for the work that you're doing. And know that if we were to understand that the long way is the shortcut. And by that, I mean, if we are able to understand the cultural, you know, the, the client, the, the candidate experience, if we are able to understand the life that people are able to live as a result of the job they do, and not just take that shortcut and try and, you know, look at just perks and benefits and, 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 the, and the very surface level things. I believe that putting the extra work in now to tell a better story, to attract that better candidate, to enable them to live a happier, more fulfilling and more satisfied life as a result. I think that the country is in very good hands. I think that you're doing very great work and uh, I'm really looking forward to the future of work as a result. As am I. Eric, how do people get a hold of you? Show notes is probably the best bet, <laughs> but uh, uh, LinkedIn uh, is Eric Termundi, the the one and only for better or worse, uh, or or my website. I'm just at erictermundi.com. I would love to continue the conversation. 
All right, let's wrap up on something for better. We always talk to our guests. We always ask them for their favorite or first. Eric, what's the first car that you owned? Oh, man, Ma Mazda 3. <laughs> fine, fine automobile. What's yeah. the first job you had? Uh, I was a entrepreneur at the age of 10. I had a necklace and, and bracelet beating company that I sold. Uh, I think I did 170 bucks my first day at the farmer's market. Wow, awesome. That was, that was top line, though. I think, you know, you, when you took away the cost, probably broke about even. Ah, what was the uh, what was the first concert that you ever attended? Oh man, this is speaking of cilantro. Uh, there's going to be some lovers and haters of this one. Uh, Nickelback. <laughs> well, you are right. You are from Western Canada. Western Canada, small town in the in the Rocky Mountains. Yep, no doubt. Cranbrook, BC, in the Recplex. Yep. Which town in the Rocky Mountains? Uh, Cranbrook, Cranbrook, BC. Cranbrook, BC. What was was the Nick? What, my next question is: What's your favorite concert? Was it the Nickelback concert? I uh, I took I took well one of my favorite concerts. I took uh, I took mom on Mother's Day a few years back to uh, Mumford and Sons on their first North American uh, tour. I don't know if you remember that. I'm sure they came out to Toronto as well, but it was. I would say it was electric when really it was like almost the opposite. It was very acoustic, but it was an incredible, it was an incredible performance. Well, I don't know if they, I'm sure they hit up Cranbrook. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Or yeah. Toronto. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. And Eric, what is your favorite piece of advice that you'd give to a young professional just starting out? Um, never stop learning. Never stop learning. My favorite piece, of, that's my favorite piece of advice. Be curious, never stop learning. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Eric, it has been just such a pleasure having you on the Insights at Work podcast. I've taken so many notes. You've seen me scr scratching away. <laughs> really, just such a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure's on mine, Jeff. Thanks for your time. Take care. Bye-bye. And with that, it looks like we've run out of racetrack. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit from it as well. If you find the Insights at Work podcast worthy, please go on to iTunes and give us a cool rating with a nice review. We certainly appreciate it. And if there's something that you would like me to discuss around this big world of HR and all things business, give me a shout. You know how to reach me on social media or through LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay healthy and be kind. We'll see you soon on the next episode of the Insights at Work podcast.